0: Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, the Pentagon puts 8,500 troops on high alert amid Ukraine tensions. Is the U.S. steaming towards another military confrontation on the heels of its 20-year Afghanistan disaster? We'll speak to Nation magazine publisher and columnist Katrina Vanden about the volatile situation. Also, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter David K. Johnson on the latest twists and turns of Insurrection Gate. And our regular column Food Fight, the ongoing battle to feed and house the hungry and homeless. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We broadcast from the San Francisco Bay Area over the Pacifica Radio Network, and we are happy to have you along. And we are happy to be joined now by the uh, publisher editor of The Nation magazine, Katrina Vanden who knows as much about and has a lot to say about what's going on in terms of uh, this latest encounter in the Ukraine, the U.S., NATO, Russia. Katrina Vanden Heuvel, thank you for uh, joining us on Flashpoint today.
1: Thank you, Dennis. I don't know if I know as much as I'm not sure who knows what at this stage because it's, uh, it demands history and it demands a, a attention to a media that is not often telling us the real or full story.
0: Well, you know a hell of a lot more than me, and I'm really happy to have your advice and and counsel uh, on this. And let's start uh, with a little bit of history. Maybe we can uh, fast backwards to 1990. Doesn't this sort of all isn't this all uh flaring up from promises made uh by NATO in terms of not expanding uh into the uh, former communist states wasn't there a promise made by James Absolutely. Baker So uh, in
1: Could you tell us about uh, that? Yeah. Yeah, in 1990 the original kind of I would say sin the escalating factor behind the new U.S.-Russian Cold War, the previous one, was uh, when German reunification occurred in 1990, uh, Gorbachev, then the Soviet leader, agreed not only to reunification um, but also at the urging of Western powers that new germany would be a member of nato and the promise made by baker and george hw was that nato would not quote would not move one inch eastward and there's been debate about this but national security archives based in washington in 2017 released primary archives and documents no coverage really but that was i think a potential uh beginning where the militarization of the relationship expanded but the real expansion was in 2008 when George W. put Ukraine and Georgia on a fast track. Not to deny that I think there were 16 countries in NATO, then there were 30 10 years later. The Warsaw Pact had collapsed, as had the Soviet Union. There was no reason to have a military alliance as the Central European Organization. But that is what we look at now. And for Russia, I don't think it's possible to explain to Americans fully what Ukraine means to Russia. First of all, it's a civil war that's going on. It's divided. It's now become a proxy war between two, you know, the geopolitical proxy war. But the eastern part of Ukraine is russian speaking and has been tied to russia through time the western part kiev others is not it's ukrainian but i do think in that though let me just say the danger today is not so much the troops but the weapons you know 2.7 yes. billion weapons have been sent since 2014 the danger of us trainers uh you know you could if there is firing and troops are killed the trainers this escalation demands political and diplomatic uh resolution which is possible there are creative ideas the u.s hasn't even replied as they said they would to the russian demands and the demands can be negotiated but the bad will did originate as you said in 1990 by the way i think it's interesting that there are written documents being exchanged because in moscow In the foreign policy establishment, Gorbachev continues to come under, you know, attack even to this day for not having gotten a written promise. I'm not sure it would have mattered from James Baker and George H.W.
0: And and let me just ask you, what do you think, where do you think we are in terms of a conflict between Western forces uh, and the Russians here? Are you concerned that that's a real possibility?
1: I'm concerned that it beco- it it's an accidental it's it's becomes um a bigger, you know, conflagration because of accidental issues. You know, I, the media here has barely reported on the fact that there US British warships in the Black Sea, there uh, constant US alliance bomber planes flying 12 miles from the russian border and you have close to three billion dollars in weapons right and trainers and they're going to put in more trainers that to me is even more dangerous than the troops encircling ukraine which may be bargaining chips for removal of russian troops so i think it's it's a very this is as dangerous let me put it this way this is more dangerous than the cuban missile crisis i mean it's eye to eye and you have a huge number of Russian troops. The sadness is Ukraine couldn't defeat Russia militarily, but it could become an ongoing insurgency, which is brutal for the more than 15,000 civilians have been killed already in, in the civil war. So it's, um, it's very, very dangerous.
0: We're speaking with Katrina Vanden Heuvel, the uh, publisher and editor of The Nation magazine. We're talking about, well, I know you've been hearing about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, NATO and the U.S., what exactly is going on. That's what we're uh, trying to figure out here. and. Um, well, let me ask you this: Russia and the United States. I, I think this is relevant, but we're not hearing about it. Russia and the United States combined uh, possess upwards of yes. what ninety percent of all the world's nuclear weapons. In the current news coverage, why aren't we? Why aren't we hearing a lot more about the implications of that reality in the current? Because Ukraine for some
1: crisis? reason, for some reason. It, it, maybe it's generational, Dennis. I remember a million people in Central Park in 1982, and when the whole yeah. class of w- nuclear weapons, the INF, was abolished due to Reagan and Gorbachev negotiating. For some reason, when the Soviet Union collapsed or was abolished, that's a whole other story, um, it was as if the threat of nuclear weapons had disappeared with it. But it's not the case. The, the weapons have been reduced. But in terms of the nuclear security infrastructure, Biden and Putin signed START. But since 2002, beginning on our side, John Bolton, remember him? Under George H. Uh, George W., they ab- abolished the ABM, the anti-ballistic missile system, which was the cornerstone of security. So you have less security for nuclear weapons than you did during the cold war and it's very frightening and it's not really referred to there are arms control groups which try to kind of compartmentalize nuclear issues from the worsening u.s russian relationship but i think that is very dangerous and i wanted to something i learned from a russian d- defense correspondent for an independent newspaper in moscow i learned this the other day that there are troops in belarus and some commentators you know said, oh, my God, this is going to be even more dangerous for Russia's going to find another entry point. Well, the terrain there is really hard and tough, but it also intersects or bypasses still not yet contained fully Chernobyl nuclear plant. I mean, you know, you start playing around with that and you're going to release radioactive materials which have not yet been fully contained after all these years. I think it's just... I don't know. I mean, and Biden, you know this, Biden, he has so many crises at home. We would do well to get our own house in order before going out. We should be doing this in part. It's called the Minsk agreement. It's a diplomatic agreement where you make the eastern part of Ukraine autonomous It's a federation. It's whole and Ukraine is guaranteed independence. Why we're not hunkering down on that? And that's been in place. since 2015. There are different reasons, but it really is a it's not a solution there are no solutions, but it's a diplomatic resolution that is better than a war uh that may ensue
0: now things are infinitely more dangerous i think norman and daniel ellsberg wrote this in the nation that that things get more uh dangerous when the u.s uh and the russians go at it because these missiles is it true they go on hair trigger it's not
1: well daniel ellsberg and norman solomon wrote an important piece which is focused on the uh, need to abolish the ICBMs the intercontinental ballistic missiles many uh, military people think they're more triggering than helpful for security but we have not yet even though Biden promised moved missiles and this is like something Bill Perry former Clinton defense secretary thinks is basic taking them off trigger alert which means that, you know there's no warning time really and that's just you know hair trigger alert is basic so there are things that are not that difficult to do, which have not been done because of inertia, or, or money, or lobbying, or security establishment, but I think it's insane right now. I mean, it's delusional as well and dishonest because NATO, as I said, couldn't even accept Ukraine now, according to its charter, because of the territorial issues in Ukraine. So there's a dishonesty to this whole conversation, and I think some of it is, again, back to 1990, but even more central, it's back to the Putin, when Putin came to power in 2000, which, you know, he, I abhor many of his policies. I have friends who are opposed to him, newspaper editors and freethinkers, but the first act Putin took in office in 2000 was to give Yeltsin and his family immunity. Which I think is worth remembering because the '90s are treated as this Western utopia in Russia, but it was the creation of the oligarchs and poverty. And a lot and it of a suffering role with right. this, yeah, yeah, a lot of suffering. By the way, there's a lot of in you, in Russia. There's a lot of attention being paid to COVID, to pension increases. Sound familiar? I mean, how unpopular they are uh, – pension cuts? How unpopular that is anywhere? And you know, it's different. It, it's not, anyway. It's, uh, I, I just don't see any sanity here, but it could be averted. And I think, um, interestingly, you know, France could play a role. You saw the German vice admiral had to resign the other day because he said in a private session that he thought this was folly, this conflict with Russia. But anyway. It's not a good time. I, 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 it's very dangerous. I but I think people you, people have yeah, come to on. their senses. Forgive, you know. I forgive me, Dennis. I would love Please. to come back in the next few days. I just had. I think we said we would do fifteen minutes. I'm sorry. Yes. You,
0: you want to pick up? Okay. And, I mean, I'm at, I'm no, at thirteen. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. No, okay. I'm so sorry. Thank
1: you. Please come back. I'm sorry, we, Dennis. We, I will come back. This, by the way, this is not people think it's you know over next week this is not over i mean this is a right this could move quickly but it's still not over i mean this is okay geopolitical 3.0 2022 and i i just can't imagine we need to get our own house in order and what we're doing all right okay thank you so much i'm so sorry be safe thank you thank you
0: all right bye-bye that was Katrina Vanden Heuvel. Uh A very tight schedule today. I actually managed to talk her into getting on for a few minutes. Um, and we're happy to have her. You are listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We are going to take a short musical break. And then we're going to come back with our good friend, Keith McHenry. And we're going to talk about, uh, it's our food fight update Santa Cruz special, stay with us. listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. And we return to our regular segment, Food Fight, with Keith McHenry. He's the founder of Food Not Bombs. That's an international organization that brings food to the hungry. And they do it in the face, of, oftentimes in the face of folks who for some reason Uh, are resentful of the fact that there are people who care that there are so many hungry people and they take uh, all kinds of actions and make all kinds of sacrifices such as our good brother Keith McHenry does to feed many and many more uh, hungry people who are also homeless in the streets, houseless, you should say. And Keith, welcome back to Flashpoints.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, how's it um, going?
2: Well, so we were evicted, as might be the last time I was on, from one place for a sewer water um, project uh, by the city. And it was a thing where, you know, five, uh, you know, on a Friday afternoon at 3, they, like, uh, kick you out by the, you know, just got the weekend to scurry. But we've moved to abandoned uh, lots. Although the abandoned lots are owned actually by this out-of-town company called BOZSC Riverfront Owner, LLC. And um, it's a property where they're going to build luxury condominiums. And the local broker, Owen, actually has been pretty cool. And we were able to negotiate seven days. But we were given like just like... Two days to get out, and um, and that was kind of a shock to the system. And um, we we're going to ha- have to recalibrate our whole operations because we were, you know, this will be the 678th day I think in a row that we've done food out bombs, and we're just hoping the other soup kitchens open up soon so we can go back to two days a week because this is incredible but it looks like with covid we're going to definitely do a total of two years of daily service because there isn't any other meals for people living outside in santa cruz and um and just like um, you know not only the city so we're move- we have to move on wednesday so we're trying to find a church parking lot or some kind of place to put our shipping container with um our supplies and food and so on and um and then uh, we're going to start serving again at the town clock as we had at the beginning of the pandemic. That's where our meals originally were. And then in a police sweep of homeless people in the area, um, um, we were also kicked out, uh, mainly for so-called violating large group ordinance when we gave away um, hotel vouchers for 80 people to get into hotel rooms during the first week of the pandemic
0: you're listening to flashpoints on pacifica radio we're speaking with keith mchenry keith let's sort of um step back a little bit and take a, a micro look uh, because the the reason we spend time with you in santa cruz is number one because you know probably more about hunger and homelessness and houselessness in america than most anybody else in this country number two that you've been on the front line not just talking about it but feeding very hungry people and saving lives and we believe in that we also talk to you because we know that food not bombs is an international organization and so you can get a read out uh, to some degree, in terms of what's happening in other communities, because it's the crackdowns and the suffering and the uh, the people getting fired or getting hired, you know, is uh, registered in these small towns across America, and you can usually get a good feel of what's going on. So, give us your sense of what you're hearing from other food not bombs and uh, and your own uh, knowledge in terms of research and what you've been looking into. What where we are now in this world of hunger, and uh, houselessness
2: well it's get you know we can just tell from the fact here in Santa Cruz that we go through all the, our supplies much faster we've got to you know uh, pay to have our dumpster you know picked up more often we get running you know so on top of the fact that we've been doing the food every day that gets getting more and more people are coming every day and and more and more people need tents every day and so on so it's 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 really um you can see that on the ground. And that's what we're hearing from other pump you know, chapters. And, of course, right now, one of the big things that's happening with chapters is trying to get coats and so on in uh, the colder areas because that's, that's that's miserable. And they're still doing police sweeps in, in areas where um, – particularly like um, egregious as Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, here you are in the nation's capital, and they're driving homeless people from place to place, and they're doing these uh, business improvement districts. So, for instance, they virtually privatized the park, where uh, Franklin Square Park, where we were serving food in front of the uh, Washington Post, um, just as a way of, of keeping homeless people from being there and, and staying there and being uh, having equal access to the resources that, that they themselves have um, you know, spent a lifetime spending paying taxes and so on. And in fact, maybe even in many cases, building the very places they're not allowed to enter anymore. So then the other thing that, you know, what, what I've been thinking a lot about, Dennis, too, and this kind of goes with the earlier segment, is we are food, not bombs. And we're at this point now where we have really made a decision as a society to spend our money uh, on war and then to threaten war and uh um uh, this magnitude um while your people are are being evicted into the streets is outrageous and there needs to be some kind of unity amongst americans uh and 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 i really wish you know there was a we got a foia documents uh, in the last like year Showing that the uh, uh, FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force said we were a credible national security threat, and I, and that's because of our position that money should be diverted from uh, military towards uh, healthcare, education, and other social services. According to them, that that's what we are threatening them with. But we need to threaten uh, them in that way, you know, to start unleashing some of these billions of dollars that are being spent on war on actually what we need in the, in, here in the communities. Um, you know, when we started in, in 1980, there were very few unhoused people in America. Now it's like getting into the millions, and, and, and it's a catastrophe, um, and, and it's completely inhumane. And nobody seems to be having a plan, and I'm getting concerned that the plan will be to put people in camps outside of cities, Um, like Japanese internment camps or something, and that is a really bleak future for those people.
0: Well, as you say, Keith, there really is no plan in terms of dealing with the issue that is becoming more and more an issue, and it it does appear that, that we may be due for another downturn uh and a whole bunch more people being forced out um into the streets i i, I guess I, i'm wondering do you, is it easier we have a, a state in which the governor is considered a liberal progressive um is there a qualitative uh difference um, between a state like California and a more, say, Florida, where where um, there's a much more so-called conservative governor. How, how, how do people fare under these different well, kinds both- of Republican Democrats? <laughs>
2: Well, the, so, for instance, for Food Not Bombs, we were arrested equally in Florida as we are in California. But in the, both cases, it's usually by municipalities run by liberal Democrats. So, for instance, it was a liberal Democrat um, um a lesbian activist in the City Council of Orlando that spearheaded the attack against us and and uh, resulted in the arrest there, but 24 arrests. And you know, Buddy dyers uh, who's the um, uh, mayor there, is very liberal. Our Diaknos, wh- who was arresting us originally in San Francisco, was liberal. Um, it, uh, L.A. has li- liberal uh, government, so um, it. Municipal governments that are run by Republicans, and, uh, I don't think there's ever been a case where they've bothered us. Um, but so, and I think a lot of that is, well, they're just pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, you know, ignore them, you know, they're not getting tax dollars so that's okay so that's my my sense but yeah every we traditionally are, are bothered and then the whole state of california has actually created laws that would make it impossible for groups like Food not bombs to serve food if they actually enforce them which thankfully they are, are not but uh, which we resisted and tried to push back on and came to an agreement as sweet bombs that we would at no time cooperate with these restrictions. Because So the bottom line is that, the, you know, the city of Santa Cruz has got millions of dollars. They could actually set up a booth somewhere and serve free vegan meals to everybody every single day, and it would hardly dent their budget because we know the budget that we're spending, you know. So um, if they're not doing it, then what businesses of of theirs to tell us what to do and the same thing about housing um you know they're not they're not housing people and so if we're handing out pup tents and finding patches of ground on the levee you know those people shouldn't be bothered that you know they got the money they got the, the you know property they can put people up and they're not doing it and they're systematically not doing that anywhere in the country and um and, and and that is very that's where i get my concern that there is essentially a plan that uh you know these useless eaters from um to use terms from uh you know the past and therefore you know hopefully it won't be as harsh as uh you know like germany but that some you know japanese and german camp type thing where they put a bunch of people and you know just get them off the streets so because there's so many millions of people Ending up on the streets, you know, and it's really tragic that we could be going that way. And I really hope people organize against that. And I, we do need an anti-war movement right now, too. We need to get out on the street against this and demand that the money be diverted from crazy uh, adventures. You know, Funa Bombs has been in Ukraine for... Years and uh, we actually fed the uh, um, color revolution, the orange revolution, back in the the original. Um, what turned out to be probably State Department sponsored coup, and um, and so the uh, you know so I've had a great interest in that, and it's just tragic that that you know there's a drum, an endless drumbeat for war, and uh, and then we've not had good luck with Putin either. We've had like at least four of our volunteers killed. Uh, by neo Nazis in in Russia, and with some suspicion that uh, maybe not Putin himself, but the secret police associated with him were part of those attacks. So, um, so we're like an equal opportunity disliking of state violence and power.
0: Wow, that's troubling. Um, we're speaking with Keith McHenry. Uh, we do a segment with Keith, a regular segment, Food Fight, where we uh, really want to track what's going on in terms of in the streets and the homeless. What What's it look like uh, in terms of the, uh, are you all still dealing with, uh, how are you dealing with the COVID, the latest version? Are, are, are people who are in the street, have they been, uh, have they gotten, uh, shots or boosters? or what? What's that all look like?
2: Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I think there's some people got shots. So I don't think probably anybody got a booster, but maybe somebody did. But we actually, the only COVID that we've had in the homeless community down here was of uh, two people that were uh, working inside, well, one was living inside in the shelter and the other was an employee who was also homeless. Um, it, it seems like the people actually have fared really well um, during this whole time, the biggest problem we are having is deaths through f- by fentanyl overdoses. Uh, and that has been epidemic. Um, and particularly since there was a rash of like uh, bags of pot left around town with fentanyl in it, and then people would take a hit and they would kill them. And so that's been more of the problem. Um, and I, and um, I'm very uh, pleased that, you know, we don't, there hasn't been with even the Omicron anybody you know i think being outside and, and all day every day turns out to be like a solution um for you know for you know avoiding the contagious disease like this so that is a blessing um and uh and kind of surprise in a way but i guess and after you know 675 days or whatever it's uh you know, it starts to make sense, you know. <laughs> so um, so right. from that point of view, and, and there wasn't really no, I mean, there was an attempt by the city to vaccinate people. Um, but, you know, it was, and if you went to homeless person's health care project, you, they certainly would, you know, um, you could get a vaccine there. But it is a very diverse population, and, um, you know, and a lot of people probably had no idea that it was even something really um, that they needed to do or wanted to do or knew where to do it. So.
0: All right, listen, uh, we've been speaking with Keith McHenry, Food Not Bombs. How do people get in touch with you, people who are in the area maybe or want to find a Food Not Bombs somewhere else? How do they do that, Keith?
2: Yeah, so Food Not Bombs is at net, And you can. there's the Hunger Hotline, which rings to this phone I'm currently speaking on, um, and that's the one eight hundred eight eight four eleven thirty six. 884 1136 and then also menu at foodnotbombs.net. And if you go to the, uh, um, there's a donation button on the top, but there's also a volunteer button, and it tells you things, things that we need volunteers to do if there's already a local chapter, but there's also a seven steps to starting chapter is the other link, and, and, um, and that's, uh, you know, amazing how many new Funat bombs chapters are, are springing up, and that's because of the increased need and the increase, uh, People are um, A lot
0: of people going out on the streets. yeah, They're hungry. All right. Well, we we have to say goodbye. Uh, Thank you, Keith. Uh, Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. You're welcome. You're listening to Flashpoints. It's your daily investigative news magazine, short musical break. And then we're going to come back with our rebroadcast of the powerful interview we did with David K. Johnson, who's been tracking Trump forever. Stay tuned. Thank you. flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We are delighted. to Welcome back to these airwaves. David K. Johnston. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter formerly with the New York Times. Uh, David K. Johnston is the founder, editor, and chief of DC Report. And he knows a lot about Donald Trump. He's written a number of books uh, about him. They include The Big Chief, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and his family he wrote the making of donald trump back in 2016 he was trying to warn us then and he's been writing about trump long before that uh david k johnson welcome back to Flashpoints. good to have well, you david, thank you Thank you, Dennis. Glad to be with you. Well, I want to set you loose on the story right now. Uh, There's a lot of things bursting out of New York. Uh, We've got the Supreme Court that says turn over the docks. Where are you looking now? Where do you think uh, the that Trump has the most trouble? What are some of the investigations that you're paying close attention to?
3: Uh, Let me give a little background to this. Uh, For 137 years, four generations of the Trump family, Donald being the third, have thumbed their nose at the law with impunity. And finally, uh, law enforcement is closing in on them. The. Uh, most recent development occurred uh tuesday night when letitia james the attorney general of new york who has civil authority but not criminal she can get it but normally only has civil authority filed a 115 page court document detailing frauds tax frauds business frauds Uh, Falsification of banking and business records by Donald Trump, Don Jr., Ivanka, and noting that Eric Trump, when he was questioned under oath, uh, asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination more than 500 times. And she made a very compelling case of the kinds of things I've been saying Trump uh, is engaged in back to the late 1980s when I first started covering him. That civil case uh, right now, uh, the focus of it is subpoenas that have been issued to Donald Trump, Don Jr., and Ivanka to testify, and the Trumps are resisting this. Donald Trump insists that uh, this is purely politically motivated. Well, even if you were to accept that it's politically motivated, and I certainly do not, once there's clear evidence of wrongdoing, then Donald Trump, will have to come and testify. Now, do I think at the end of the day he will testify? No. He'll be fined. He'll be denied certain defenses in a civil trial, but he's not going to testify because Donald can't tell the truth. He creates his own reality, Dennis, and he, he lies so much that Under oath, he will end up saying preposterous things, things that would be used against him in a civil trial. The most dangerous thing for Donald is the investigation by the Manhattan district attorney's grand jury, uh, A lot of people are saying, well, why haven't they indicted him by now? Well, remember, Donald Trump fought to keep the accounting and business records from the grand jury. Went to the Supreme Court twice. Uh, John Glover Roberts, for all the horrible things he's done, for all the efforts to suppress the votes, clear back to when he was an attorney at the Justice Department, of people of color wrote a very strong opinion that every man, including the president, owes his testimony to the judicial system. And the reason that this case hasn't yet resulted in indictments is that prosecutors were expecting about a million pages from the Mazers accounting firm, which, by the way, no longer represents Donald Trump or the Trump Organization. Instead, they got five million pages and that means that the prosecutors the forensic accountants the other experts have to go through every one of those pages because you wouldn't want something to show up at trial you didn't understand or that created an unexpected defense and ruined your case that's the case donald needs to worry about because that's the one that would put his liberty at risk because it's a criminal investigation and Dennis, as i expect that when the grand jury and returns an indictment it will be primarily a new york state racketeering charge article 460 of the new york state penal code there may be a tax component to it but the fundamental charge will be that the trump organization his business but in reality it's a criminal enterprise
0: is it your uh, understanding that if this goes forward in a very effective way this will uh, affect his family his uh, his kids uh, as well is it all oh, for I- one one for all or?
3: yeah i mean the,
0: the 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 three oldest
3: trump children Two of whom, in writing, denounced their father as teenagers after he divorced their mother and and did all sorts of horrible things back then. Once they got out of college, they went to work for daddy because daddy paid them huge salaries that no independent employer paying market wages would have paid them so daddy bought them back with money and they have been doing his bidding uh donald trump jr is the sole trustee of the donald trump trust the eyes wide open blind trust he created while he was president Uh, ivanka trump was the person uh in charge of orchestrating loans in which Trump did clearly criminal things. I'll give you a real simple example of this. Uh, He owns a golf course in Westchester County about a half hour from Manhattan. Uh, He has argued to uh, property tax authorities that it's worth $1.4 or $1.3 million, which is roughly the value of one and a half houses on the fairways. But in his presidential forms, he said it was worth fifty million, and in his financial statements, he asserted it was worth well over a hundred million. Well, you know, you could argue. Let's say you want to dispute your property tax assessment by the Los Angeles County Assessor. The Assessor says your house is worth three hundred thousand. You say no, it's worth two fifty. But if you say no, 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 it, it's worth 250000 It's worth. Twenty thousand, and then you go to the bank and seek a loan, saying it's worth a hundred million. Those numbers don't line up at all. That's fraud. And Trump, uh, the new documents that Letitia James, the Attorney General, filed Tuesday night, show that Trump did this in at least seven cases where the valuations varied by huge sums—ten, sixfold, tenfold, twentyfold—from what was told to tax authorities, to what was told to lenders or insurance
0: authorities. Wow. Is is Trump an example of the story of two Americas when it comes to the justice system? I mean, we have the fake charity. We have the fake college we have you know we have everything that happened around the casinos we have the offshore stuff how is it that he can continue to get away with it wouldn't there have been a pattern that we all could have seen that would have told us where we're going when he arrived in sixteen?
3: Oh, we've known about this stuff since the late 80s when
0: I started covering
3: Donald. I left the L.A. Times after I had been exposing the LAPD, and I went to the Philadelphia Inquirer to cover the casino industry because I believed it would spread all across America, which it did almost exactly as I predicted in my 1992 book, Temples of Chance. Um, the, the real underlying problem, Dennis, is this. We have very weak white-collar crime laws, not only in America but around the world. Um, I will very briefly, very soon, start a half-hour weekly streamed television program about white-collar criminal activity there is 50 trillion trillion not million or billion trillion dollars of criminal money sloshing around the globe how much is 50 trillion it's an unimaginable number right well it's the entire economic output by every single american all 330 million of us for two and a half years And this criminal money, much of it, by the way, Russian money, and the Trump family has said, we get all the financing we need out of Russia, is so huge that they can do whatever they want with it. In the rare cases when they get called to account by authorities here or in Europe, um, they manage to, using very expensive lawyers, get their way out of it. But even if you're paying a lawyer $5,000 an hour, if you have trillions of dollars of money that was never taxed, money from criminal activities, what's $5,000 to you? It's nothing. What's a million dollars or $10 million to a lawyer? It's pocket change. And that's the real underlying problem is we have incredibly strong, clear blue collar crime laws. You take a water pistol and hold up a 711 and walk out the door with 11 dollars and a candy bar, we'll lock you up. In fact, in the state of California, there's a man who I've written about in my books who stole nine children's videos from a Walmart uh in I think it was Pomona or that area and uh he was sentenced to 55 years in prison and the chief justice of the united states john glover roberts in an opinion said that that was not unreasonable remember our constitution prohibits unreasonable punishment there's another california man who stole a slice of pizza because he was hungry he was sentenced to life in prison now his sentence was eventually commuted down he served like three years but a hungry man steals a life slice of pizza and we come down on him like a ton of bricks but somebody like donald trump steals from investors refuses to pay workers uh lies to tax authorities and nothing happens and that's a structural problem where we need to understand that we need to treat crime in the suites just as effectively as we do crime in the streets
0: it's i mean are you, were you surprised to see that uh, his lawyer becomes uh, a whistleblower and it's his lawyer who goes to jail? <laughs> Not in the least. And in fact, there's a slam dunk
3: case against Donald Trump in the Michael Cohen case. Michael Cohen admitted to his crimes involving the payoffs to Stormy Daniels over... You know, newspapers keep saying his affair with Stormy Daniels. If you read her book, uh, it was like less than a minute. <laughs> and... um uh, then uh, uh, I believe also to Karen McDougal, the former Playboy model who was paid off. He confessed to this. He produced records. He cooperated with the authorities. He was sentenced to three years in prison, and he served a portion of that. They could bring that case tomorrow, and Donald Trump basically has no defenses. Why don't they bring it? Well, my guess is two things. Merrick Garland, Joe Biden's attorney general, is a Boy Scout. Just like Robert Mueller, these are the—he's—he's—he's he's, he's not an aggressive prosecutor. He's a Boy Scout. And secondly, it's a mind. Thank you yeah, for you, saying that. He's, yeah, he's not corrupt. He's not dishonest. He's just—he's a Boy Scout at a time when we don't need a Boy Scout. And then the second issue is it's a relatively minor charge compared to the things you can do. And, you know, there's an old saying goes back hundreds of years. If you're going to attack the king, you need to kill the king and uh well that's a british phrase about the monarchy the the principle holds that going out having the federal government go after trump over a relatively minor matter is not going to look good it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth and they've got material to go after him on much more serious charges i think merrick garland If presented with a slam-dunk set of evidence to go against Trump, would authorize it. But I'm sure that what he would much prefer, based on many of his opinions that I've read and reading about him and uh, interviewing some people who know him as a judge, Uh, that he would much prefer that the states bring these charges. Because once you open up the issue that Donald Trump raised, lock her up about Hillary Clinton, and you have a current administration prosecute a former president, much as it may be deserved, you've changed the dynamics in this country. You know, we got through 44 presidents without a need to have all sorts of rules and controls. The worst presidents we've ever had, Andrew Jackson, Donald Trump's hero, whose picture hung in the Trump Oval Office, did at least what he thought was right for the country. Now, he was a murderous, racist slaveholder. I don't want to in any way justify what he did. But his conduct was not, hey, how much money can I get out of the government? How can I move the government to enrich me and screw everybody else? Which is what The Big Cheat, my new book, Documents and it's a very short, tight, easy read. You don't need to know finance to figure out what what this is about. Um, nobody did that until Donald Trump, and now, unfortunately, we're going to have to have rules. We need Congress to pass laws. Not going to happen so long as the country is divided. And so we we either need to decide in the twenty twenty two election we're going to become a fascist right wing white supremacist country forever or people are going to put up with the terrible problems of having to fight to register to vote in many states and stand in line for hours to vote and move us in the direction of a country that ennobles the human spirit, that fulfills the promises in the preamble to our Constitution. And we decide. I mean, the thing about the United States is, let's remember, the whole principle of our country is... There's nobody to fix it for us. There's no king to tell us what to do. We decide. And in this next election, if people don't turn out, if they go, ah, politics is dirty, I'm not going to stand in line for hours to vote for my congressperson, well, fine, then you're going to lose your liberties. And eventually, not immediately, but eventually down that way, once we become a fascist white supremacist state, lie firing squads. And in my taking on Donald Trump throughout his presidency. I said right at the beginning, you know, if things go badly, uh, Donald could have me swept off the streets if he can figure out a way to do it. He's not smart enough to do that, but he could. He said that he hates me more than any other journalist in the world. And I understood perfectly well <laughs> that I could be dead at the end of this, but you know, you have to do the right thing. And so I don't have any sympathy, Dennis. I have zero sympathy for people who say, oh, it's going to be so hard to vote and it's not fair. I'm sorry, more than a million people die for this country in battle don't tell me you can't stand in line for 11 hours to vote you shouldn't have to and it's wrong but if you're not willing to do it you're going to lose your liberties and you'll have no one to blame
0: but yourself it is an amazing moment in history here in the United States. Uh, we are speaking with David K. Johnson. Do you have a few more minutes with us? I don't want to sure. overstay sure, my no. welcome, but, uh, I'm really yeah. glad to have you with us. And it's a, a, a crucial moment in this, um, uh investigation uh, multiple investigation uh of Donald Trump uh we've seen revelations now uh it seems the more documents that are released uh w- w- what 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 are you looking for what you know we're we're starting to see the release of documents he's losing in court he lost at the supreme court what could we learn uh what are you looking for what what kinds of smoking gun are you looking for what in what areas in what places would you be searching who would you be asking questions to January 6th was not
3: spontaneous. It should be eminently clear to everybody by now. There was money spent to bring people to Washington. There was coordination that people in seven states, uh, publicly elected officials um, uh, or uh, Republican Party officials signed statements that they were the official electors of their state and that they were certifying the election for Donald Trump. Those are crimes. Those people need to be prosecuted, and we have a policy at the federal level of what's called Specific deterrence and general deterrence. Specific deterrence is what the cops do when they try to arrest every murderer, rapist, uh, burglar. General deterrence is you pick people who are prominent, you prosecute them, you put them in prison to deter wrongdoing by others. We need to have prosecutions of the state Republican chairman, the county Republican chairman, the elected Republican officials who file these false certifications at the National Archives. They need to to serve prison time and we need to be telling our elected Officials, you need to pursue these people. This is not a minor crime. This was an effort to overthrow our government. And by the way, in 2015, Dennis, I wrote repeatedly, I said on national TV, if Donald Trump gets to the White House, he will not leave peacefully. And I was mocked I at the time. I had people say, oh, that's so far out there. And I'd say, you don't know Donald like I know Donald, he'll never leave peacefully. And, of course, he didn't. So that's one thing we need. Secondly, we need to have uh, prosecutions in the uh, Georgia elections matter. The Fulton County, basically Fulton County overlays Atlanta. Uh, District attorney has asked court permission for a special grand jury. Uh, Donald, in one of his emails that he sent out today, I get all of his emails he sends out to his followers, you know, said, oh, so they want to prosecute me for asking about election fraud. He asked about election fraud in his conversations with Brad Rassenberger, the head of the election system in Georgia, a Republican. He said, "Find me eleven thousand votes. Um, we need to have some fundamental changes in the law to undo Citizens United and the two decisions that led up to it, Vallejo and Buckley. The post Watergate." reforms which i covered back then uh almost 50 years ago the campaign finance reforms after watergate have completely backfired they have completely enhanced the power of a very tiny slice about one in 500 americans to decide who you get to vote for and um, we allow all this deep secret money, and right now at DC Report, one of our writers has a fantastic piece about how Ted Cruz wants to make bribery lawful. We're very close to bribery being lawful under a Supreme Court decision in the case involving Governor McDonnell of Virginia. Supreme Court has very very much narrowed the circumstances under which a politician can be prosecuted for bribery and other misconduct for taking money and favors. But Ted Cruz now wants to just completely wipe it away and create a 100% corrupt system of buying lawmakers. And the only other place this is being written about is after we ran our piece, NBC News ran a piece. I, I don't understand why this is in front page news in the L.A. Times, in the New York Times, at the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, but It's not even in the back pages. And, amazing. and part of the problem is that most journalists cover... Accurately, very accurately, what sources tell them. But they don't understand the structure of government. They don't understand deep economics. They're captive to their sources. And if their sources aren't talking about something, it doesn't get covered. Television in particular, and people should never confuse. The evening shows on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, and elsewhere with news. Those are not news. Those are yes. commentary shows. Occasionally, they break news. I've broken news on those shows as a guest, but mostly it's commentary and events. The heavy lifting in this country is done by newspapers, which are being economically strangled because of the internet, and yet they continue to do the work. I mean, anybody you saw the front page of the New York Times today exposing this illegal bombing of a dam that could have killed tens of thousands of people uh we should be able to see that about once a week now the new york times publishes a big new investigation in fact it has a much bigger staff now than it did when i was there that's news unfortunately news tends however to be what politicians in washington talk about not what they don't talk about that's why we started org to cover the government, to cover what politicians aren't talking about, to tell you, for example, that in his first business day as president, the Monday after his inauguration, Donald Trump, who promised to go after Wall Street, took three actions that told Wall Street, hey, profiteering is back. And we're the only place that reported this. Nobody else reported it. Until months later, a few local newspapers suddenly realized, why are our electricity prices going through the roof? And... Trying to find it out, refer were referred to us, um, and the stuff that we cover at DC Report. So, we we need to be really concerned. Our democracy is in deep trouble. the The institutions have held up so far but not well and so what are the Republicans doing and the Republicans are very good at this they're systematically going after the protections for a free and democratic peoples so that they can impose their white supremacist corporate vision of what America should be what's in the Powell memo bring the press to heel, get rid of the unions get rid of the consumer movement uh, only tax workers uh, make capital supreme and It is, Dennis, just critical that people don't lose heart, don't suffer Trump fatigue, and that they make sure in every way they can... In California, this won't matter, but in Texas and Georgia and Florida and Arizona and Nevada and states like that, that people turn out, uh, they, they register to vote, they make sure they're registered, they turn out on Election Day, they contribute to help doing this. If you can take time off work and go to Las Vegas, for example, from Southern California, to help making sure people turn out on Election Day Do it, because otherwise you can do all the right things if you're in California or New York, where I live in western New York, and you can still end up losing your liberty.
0: Wow. All right. Listen, David K. Johnson, thank you for joining us at the last minute. You're a Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporter. You've written many books, a number about Donald Trump. I thought the last one was The Big Cheat, but you have a book coming out now. What's the latest? No, no.
3: That's the, the Big Cheat just came out uh, less than okay. two months ago. My next book I'll help out next year is I'm going to propose an entirely new federal tax system in which all of these billionaires... Trillionaires—well, we don't have any trillionaires yet, but it's coming. Um, millionaires and it's billionaires yeah. can avoid paying taxes, and it'll treat everybody the same. It will be every expert has gone over it, Dennis. I mean, tax administrators, uh, lawyers, accountants, business owners—they all agree my system works. What they say is the public won't care, and you know, uh, my attitude, I guess, is sort of: if you don't care, then you know you suffer. Nobody suffers but you if you don't
0: hear. And that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan
2: Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs.